reasons I came to this town They left long ago So I'm left standing on the Mason line Waiting for that whistle to blow Starting in the 1920s, prohibition was set in place by the United States government banning the sale of alcoholic beverages and creating an underground market for bootlegged liquor. Mafias and crime bosses took the lead and took business to new heights by creating a vast network to smuggle alcohol into major cities. The 18th Amendment reduced alcohol consumption by half, but gave rise to organized crime, with people wanting to get their share of tax-free liquor sales. Our story follows Robbie, stuck in the middle of prohibition in New York. I'm Lindsay Birch, and this is Episode 2 of The Clanks. I have tapes 1 through 12, well, except for number 8 anyway, so I went back and I listened to the last audio reel, hoping there might be more to find than just this set of tapes, and I found something. Before I share that with you, I want to play the last bit of the recording from tape 1. I decided to leave the last couple minutes out from last week's episode because, well, I needed to figure some things out before I could explain it to you. So without dragging this out too much, here's the last section from tape 1. After hearing some of the conversation, I knew I shouldn't be listening in, and if I stuck around any longer, Sully was going to find out, and I knew I didn't want to spend my next few weeks digging through trash cans for food, because I'd be out of a job real quick. Sully doesn't like it when people snoop. And, I mean, I wasn't really trying to, but now I was really curious, and I want to know more. But I decided to wait, though. I figured Ziggy would tell me what was up. So I headed downstairs to the pad and rolled another cigarette with some tobacco I got from a friend who works at a plant down the street. I burned through the entire thing before Ziggy came out of the foreman's office. He walked up, kicking dirt with the front toe of his boot, and he was mumbling and cursing. But he didn't say anything else to me, which was weird given our history. I mean, we were pretty good friends at this point. Something was going down, and I didn't really want to be a part of it. But maybe if I was, it'd be the story that would get me out of here. I rolled another cigarette and handed it over to Ziggy as we walked down towards track 7. I wanted to know what was going on, but I wasn't about to ask, so I just told him about what we were doing down here. Sully has a way of keeping people in his pocket. Usually being part of the secret just puts you in there too, so I let it go for now. I mean, he'll tell me. I'm sure he will. When it's all behind him at least. Whatever it is. So then we spent the next 8 hours bashing out spikes. I'd say about 80% of the spikes were overdriven and needed the spike lifter, which is just a pain in the ass. But we got 100 feet of track pulled up today. About three more days and I could be done. It was a good way to let out some anger, having to swing that 10-pound hammer. My shoulders are kind of sore, but Ziggy's pissing me off. I just want to know what's going on with Sully. All right. It's April 4th. It's 1 in the morning, and I have to get up in 5 hours to get to the Clanks, which I guess since it's 1 a.m., it's really the 5th. Shit. I've been up since I got back from the yard at 7, just waiting. I've been keeping an eye on Ziggy. Before he left, I heard him say to Sully that he would be sure to show up tonight. He's been in his apartment in Brooklyn since we got off, but 
I'm hoping I can catch him where he's off to. He lives right across the street from my place, so it's pretty easy to record and watch him. I know I said I'd let it go. Oh, shit. Here he goes. Uh, he's headed south towards Crown Street. Uh, I'm going to follow him. April 5th, it's 4.38 a.m. Alright, this is going to be pretty short. My bloody beaten eye is not doing well. I have to get it clean enough to make it to work tomorrow. Oh, fuck, it hurts. Well, um, I saw Ziggy headed into a restaurant, which I heard has a speakeasy in the back. Usually entrance is behind a wall or something, so... After he entered, I followed him in. He didn't see me, which I guess is good, but I don't know. It could have made things better. I don't fucking know. Either way, the head waiter didn't like me. I guess most people don't like dirty kids and wool knickers trying to get into an upscale restaurant. So after trying to push my way past, I was dispelled from the premises. And what did he say? Shown the meaning of respect or some bullshit. I remember getting blasted by his punch and the sound of my head smacking against the street. After that, it was kind of black blurs of memory and sight drowned out by the pain and bleeding. It's still bleeding really bad. I don't remember how I made it back, but I remember a girl leaving my room as I fell unconscious on the floor. I woke up a few hours later and decided to record what I did remember, which is where we are. I guess. I do know I need to come up with some lie for Sully and the crew. Who did I piss off to get this eye? Maybe I got robbed or fell down on my way to the apartment stairs. Alright, I'll think of something. This is when the story starts to get fun. I wanted to find that speakeasy, or at least some remnants of it, and I hoped that something about it was still preserved in New York. So the past week, I've been calling all the restaurants and establishments that were in Brooklyn on Crown Street. There are a handful that are part of Crown Heights, but there's one in particular that seemed like it might have a lead. It's a pub named Southtown, and it's been passed around for the last 70 years with many owners and all kinds of food. The owner mentioned that the location has roots from the 20s, and he's tried to preserve what he can from that era, from when it was first opened. They've since remodeled, but they kept the vintage look. The store is a back room, and it looks like it's part of another building, the owner told me, which is how a lot of the speakeasies were concealed during Prohibition. The owner, Michael, told me they happened to keep some old photos and books from the older venues that once occupied the space. I asked if I could come in and take a look around, see if anything would be of interest. He was a little reluctant, but I convinced him by promising a custom growler with his pub's logo. So I had my shop make up a growler for me, a friend owed me a favor, and I headed to New York to visit Southtown. Alright, I just got off my plane, and I'm headed straight to Southtown. I'm recording this on my iPhone, so hopefully the quality isn't too terrible. Oh, here comes my Uber. Alright, so I just met with Michael at Southtown, and he was super excited about the growler we made for him. I'm in the back lounge area now where he has a lot of old vintage pictures and books and magazines and old antiques. These cameras are amazing. He has an old Leica camera where they rotated the film so it could be more compact than cameras before it. 
I am a bit of a photography fanatic, so these cameras are awesome to see. Anyway, um, I'm digging through these books and antiques. There are books from the last 70 years, from cooking to journals to parts of history. And there's also a black tin up in the corner behind a picture of some old steam engines. The outside is wrapped in a black leather strap and the edges are really beaten down and covered in soot. When I opened it, I noticed Robbie's name was scratched into the lid. There was a picture and another tape inside the box, but the tape didn't have a number written on it. I'm going to go back to my grandpa's and listen to the tape. So initially, I thought this might have been the missing track 8 tape, but after listening to it, it sounds more like a journal entry. Hearing Robbie's story is really exciting, though. Learning about the dark history of America is something I never thought would intrigue me so much. But Robbie was there, and it was straight from him, not through years of rewriting and filtering, like all the other versions of history. This is something more pure. This tape seems to jump around, and I've spent some time trying to piece it together so it makes sense. One section that stood out to me, specifically because of the question that's been lingering in my mind since we first started listening to these tapes, is how is he recording these? I mean, how did he get his hands on a magnetic tape recording device? Well, this next part was recorded on April 15th, a few weeks after the first recordings, and it helps answer some of the technology questions that I've had. The ECR closed the tracks today, which rarely happens, but we got the day off, so I didn't want to complain too much about it. After sleeping in, dealing with my eye, which still has a little bit of swelling, I headed over to another speakeasy I spent a lot of time at. Had a few drinks and decided to record this. Since I started recording, it's just kind of nice to get it out of my mind. So whoever's writing this for me, which I haven't found you yet, but as I mentioned, I've my friend's dad works at some business that has all the newest recording devices. I've seen one that he's been working on. It's really cool. It's not made for commercial use yet, but it's so much smaller. The one I record on right now is like three feet by three feet. This one you can actually like carry around with you. It's pretty awesome. Hope to get one soon. Finding this recording was exciting, especially now knowing a little more about the recording device. I grew up at the front of technology, where the internet was just becoming a thing and we didn't have computers all over our house or cell phones. I mean, we still had cassette tapes that we listened to regularly. And being part of that change was so cool. So having the opportunity to hear from someone in the 1900s about their experience with new pieces of technology is so interesting to me, especially in our age of constantly being tapped into technology 24-7. Oh, and some of you might be wondering what the ECR is. I was also wondering, so I did some research on it. Back in the 1920s, the East Coast Railway was the main freight company that ran freight from Florida north to New York. Many smugglers used these rail lines to smuggle alcohol. The ECR has since been replaced by CSX Transportation, which now has over 21,000 miles of tracks in the U.S. Alright, so I spent the last days in New York with my grandpa before flying home. And now I'm back in L.A., ready to share tape two from Robbie's collection of the Clanks. Okay. It's April 5th after work. 
was supposed to get to work at 6 a.m. today to start my regular shift, but I didn't get in until 9, which is not a great thing with this bloody eye that I have. Truth is, I just passed out, and 9 is when I woke up, and I couldn't really do much about that. I probably shouldn't have followed Ziggy last night, especially now that I know I didn't get anything from it, but I stumbled into Sully's office when I got to work and crashed into the chair at the end of his desk. I knew it wasn't going to be pretty, so I might as well sit while getting verbally lashed. I was glad it wasn't a real lashing, I guess. Sully has a history of beating people when they step out of line. What's good is now I know he didn't find out about last night. I told him the story of getting mugged on my way back from my normal speakeasy. I only had a bourbon and headed back around 9.30, or so I told Sully. Big guy. An overcoat grabbed me from the alley. Gave me a good punch to the eye when I struggled to give up my wallet. I played it off pretty well with Sully. Told him I'd work the extra three hours tonight to catch up ripping up the train tracks and get my full pay. After the meeting, I stumbled out to meet Ziggy working the loading slabs on track two. He was shocked at my eye, and I gave him some shit about not coming with me to the speakeasy like normal. I guess helps play it off. It was interesting because he told me some bullshit about meeting a girl for dinner. Maybe I should consider myself lucky at this point that I'm not involved in whatever the fuck this is. We spent the rest of the day tearing up track. Ziggy took off at his normal time of 6 and I kept ripping spikes out for the next 3 hours till 9. Sunset was right around 6.30 so I was working by gas lamp for a few hours. This area gets a little unsafe during the night, but Sully gives us a 9mm pistol when working the tracks at night. So I had that shoved in the back of my pants. Right at 9, I headed back to the slabs to punch out and put the gun away and lock up. As I walked down the stairs and shut the lantern down, I saw a soft glow. It was like orange from what looked like a lantern coming from the slab at track 7, right where we were working. I checked to make sure the gun was loaded and headed down in the dark. All this curiosity is going to get me killed someday. I hid behind a cement support from the upper bridges. There was a new roadster parked. Expensive car. Old bearded man standing out in front wearing a crisp black suit. Very, very large man in a black suit and bowler hat smoking a cigar right next to him. Larger man was holding the lantern listening to an old man talk about some crates that should be delivered. Obviously something that shouldn't be delivered on these tracks. The ECR doesn't exactly pass out free rides to people's freight. The fact this was happening down on track 7 made me curious. Sully had to know about this. And I probably shouldn't be knowing about it. So it's midnight now. I haven't been able to sleep. Even with the shitty night I had yesterday. I just can't get to sleep. Lying on my one side hurts the hell out of my eye. And if I do get comfortable on the other side, I just think about all the shit that's been going on. Since Prohibition started, more and more back alley work has been happening. And I've had some good friends get mixed up in it. Well, they're sleeping in the fucking river now. I want to stay ahead of the game if I'm going to get caught in anything. I want to know about it before it happens. I'm really starting to think Robbie needs to get out of this. His luck doesn't seem to be getting any better, and I'm sure it's not going to. He's getting involved too deep in whatever's happening, and if someone doesn't make him be a part of it, he might mistakenly get himself involved. Thanks for listening to episode two of The Clanks. Please subscribe and review and check out patreon.com slash theclanks to support. Also, if you like the music, check out Brendan Bonds on SoundCloud. Thanks for writing the tracks with me.
Tell my brothers, I'll tell my 